Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Audio Judo. I'm Kyle. And I'm Matthew. Hello. Well, <laughs> you, did, you did say welcome, right? I did. Uh, it's Audio Judo, proud member of the Pantheon Podcast Network. If you're new to Audio Judo, welcome. We encourage you to go check out Pantheon and their extensive collection of music-based podcasts. Uh, both of our podcasts are on the network, and if you're wondering, wait, you have two podcasts? We do. Yes, that is correct. This one, clearly, and our jazz-centered podcast, Audio Judo Does Jazz. Uh, our show consultant, Chris, is the host of that podcast, and we love it. Uh, he brings a unique viewpoint that is both collector-ish and teacher-y, hmm. uh, because I really feel like he's there to educate and not condescend like a lot of jazz snobs. I'm looking at all of you. <laughs> Uh, you can check that out at our website, audiojuda.com forward slash AJDJ, or find it at pantheonpodcasts.com or anywhere else that podcasts are podcast. It'd be kind of weird if we were doing the introduction for a podcast that we didn't have anything to do with. <laughs> just like you said before, we have this one and another one. Like, we're just two random guys. This is what we do for a living, is we just do podcast introductions for podcasts we've never done. We've Ooh, never, that's a good idea. We never listen to that. or we don't listen to them. We just do an introduction for them. I pulled one off the internet. Go but, listen to it. There you go. Yeah, I really have no idea what it's about. Random one we picked, and now we're going to do an introduction for it and override whatever they had to say. Perfect. The cover, cover art looked cool. Yeah, that's great. Um, I'm pretty sure it's about uh, like a guy's collection of sneakers. Right? So, um, maybe. I don't know. We, we didn't listen to it. I, I didn't listen. Yeah, but uh, you know what, Matthew? We what? did. Uh, we have kind of fucked up a little bit this far in in doing our podcast. Um, I'm just, aware. Just a little bit. Your your wife kindly pointed it out to us. Yeah. That, well, she's uh, good. She's good at that. She's very good at it. Uh, almost all of the artists we've focused on have been men. Not almost. All is all. it? Is it all? We yeah. have not done we've one woman. This, we've been at this for two years, and for some reason. Not by conscious choice. Uh, we have yet to focus on a female artist on any one of our episodes. And that, I I feel stupid for yeah, that. And it is I, an oversight. It is a huge oversight. Conscious or not. Yeah. And we intend to remedy that. And, um, go ahead. And I would say this is this is like how, you know, I, I feel like I'm a pretty conscientious person, but this is exactly how the isms and obias of the world progress. Yeah. Because people like us who have a platform just are like, no, we're doing fine. We're doing, we're wonderful. And we're then all of a sudden it's like, stupid. oh yeah, we kind of, so first of all, on my, I can't apologize for you, but yeah, I apologize. I'll, I'll apologize for the yeah. whole podcast. Uh, apologies to uh 50.1% of the population. Absolutely. Uh, Yeah. That was our, our fuck up. But we're uh, here to remedy it. That, yes. Hopefully. Uh, I looked at our list of uh, prospective episodes and there are like eight to 10 female artists. So there's plenty coming. Awesome. And we're going to start here. And we are talking about Adele. Uh, her album, 21. 21. Now, to be perfectly honest about it, this uh, style of music, what one would consider to be popular music, <laughs> hasn't been something that I have readily listened to since maybe the late 80s. Okay. For a while in the 90s, grunge was popular and some of the rockier things were popular, but they weren't pop music. They were just popular, popular. music. And I would say that especially in the last 15 years or so, I have almost no association with pop music whatsoever, other than what gets played in commercials or stuff like that. Okay. I often have to ask someone in the family when they're singing a song, like, what is that? I don't know. Dad, it's everywhere. I'm like, I don't know what it is. Like, if you played an Ed Sheeran song for me right now. You would have no clue. There's probably only a, like a 5 to 10% chance that I know what, what the hell it is. Is this from the egg commercial? I love this. I love the egg commercial. It, there's just nothing particularly noteworthy or unique about it. To my ears, it sounds very uh, vanilla. Okay. Um, 
But Adele is a different story. Agreed. Uh, her sound, her songs, while popular, are also very listenable and not as vanilla sounding as a lot of other pop music. <clears throat> and while I know several of the songs on this record, before doing the research, I was surprised at how musically rich the songs really were. Yeah. Um, the subject matter is a little predictable for a 21-year-old suffering a legitimate emotional breakup. Yeah. But even that has some really, really good layers. And musically, it's just wonderful. What, 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 oh. what about Adele? What about her? So Adele, her, uh, her full name. Yeah. Uh, is Adele Laurie Blue Adkins. Mm. Uh, she was born uh, May 5th, 1988 in Tottenham, London, England. Uh, her father sadly left when she was only two years old, and she was raised almost entirely by her mother. She began singing when she was uh, only four years old, and she and her mother moved around a little bit around that time. First, they moved to Brighton for a couple of years, and then they came back to London, first to an area called Brixton, and then to uh, West Norwood. West Norwood is where she would... Uh, begin writing music and actually really starting to expand her, her musical education. Uh, and in fact, she wrote her first song at age 16 in that area, which would later become uh, the song Hometown Glory. Mm. She spent some of her time playing guitar and singing with friends in Brockwell Park, a memory which she would later use as the basis for the song a million years ago for her follow-up to the album we're talking about today, which is called 25. Right. Uh, she graduated from the Brit School for Performing Arts and Technology in Croydon in May 2006. Uh, she, she credits the school for nurturing her talent. She actually wanted to go into A&R, which is more about getting new artists to sign up. It's the business side. It's the business side. But she graduated also, or went to school with Leona Lewis yes. and Jesse J. Yes. So it's like that school's turning out some very talented young ladies. I, I feel like it is kind of the equivalent of, um, oh crap, what's the name of the school in New York City? Juilliard? The Juilliard, thank you. That escaped my mind there. I feel like it's kind of the British equivalent of Juilliard, ah. where lots of it's, – it's a school focused primarily on music and music technology, and they specifically – like a magnet school is here. So you're saying it's the, the British equivalent of Glee. Sure, yeah, let's yeah, so. go with that. <laughs> let's go with that. It's the yeah, high school not? in Glee. So of course. Uh, but oh, after four months, four months after she graduated is when she signed her record deal with uh, XL Recordings in wow. September 2006. What a slacker. Right? She four whole months? Four months of doing nothing? Come on. <sighs> Jeez. But pretty quickly, by uh, in 2007, she had received the Critics' Choice Award, and she won the BBC Sound of 2008 poll, which is a poll of a whole bunch of people throughout uh, Great Britain as to what they're looking forward to uh, coming up, basically, artists to look out for. Mm-hmm. Uh, her debut album, 19, came out in 2008, and it did fairly well. Uh, yeah. Now, one thing to keep in mind, a lot of those numbers came later. Uh, sales, sales numbers? Sales numbers. It sold very well when it first came out. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But it sold even better. Well, oh, yeah, of course. After 21. Retroactively. But it, it wasn't like a chump. No. It's, it was certainly no chump. It sold a tremendous amount of records. It's almost as if the entire music scene had been waiting for a while right? for someone to come and take the mantle of the biggest name on the planet, like Madonna mm -hmm. or Cher, one name. You know, we've been waiting for someone to come up, rise up, and take that mantle away. And she uh, she certainly showed it, you know. She, I mean, 19 sold millions of copies. Would earn, oh, look at this. Oh, what's this? Oh shit! Oh, look at this. We get. We're gonna add a new. Uh, we're gonna add a new wrinkle to the show. You know, to keep things fresh and to keep us entertained. Because I think we have. Uh, I believe we have some uh, appropriate, an appropriate beer flight. Good lord! Uh, for a couple of the songs tonight, we're just gonna try to keep it thematic for everybody. Um, you know, something new. I just slowly saw the door opening, 
And something, Heather comes walking in with this gigantic tray of beers. Yeah. Something new, something fresh. Yeah. Right? And if you notice, the, the, the glasses also have a little bit uh, a little bit of a branding on it. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, right? Audio judo shot glasses. Yeah. Well, yeah, they're uh, specifically made uh, beer flight glasses. And we have a, uh, we actually have three beer flight holders coming from Rit. He just didn't wow. finish them in time. So, uh, yeah, we're... Uh, we're just going to add a little wrinkle to it. This is quite fancy. Right? We thought I just thought I'd ramp it up a, a tick. But uh, so around that same time, yeah. ni- 19, her debut album comes out uh, and she does a tour called An Evening with Adele. Begins in May 2008 and ended in June 2009. Fairly successful tour. Mm-hmm. Uh, did, did really well. However, uh, she canceled a lot of the 2008 U.S. dates on tour to be with her former boyfriend. Mm-hmm. Uh, in June 2009 issue of Nylon Magazine, she said, quote, I'm like, I can't believe I did that. It seems so ungrateful. I was drinking far too much, and that was kind of the basis for my of my relationship with this boy. I couldn't bear to be without him, so I was like, well, I'll just cancel my stuff then. You know, as you do. I'll She's cancel ni- my world tour to be with this guy who's She's 19. something. 19. Just, so, uh, you get love struck, and it, it gets in the way. Apparently. But it, it almost killed her U.S. success. It was It was so devastating to what... How successful she has been since then in the U.S. Yeah, that it could have it could have absolutely crippled that. But she had a very successful appearance on Saturday Night Live in late 2008, and it gave her a huge boost in yeah. the U.S. Highest ratings for the show in 17 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the 2009 Grammy Awards, she won awards for Best New Artist and Best Female Pop Vocal Performance for 19. And best, uh, it won awards, not Grammys, but it won awards for the Best Jazz Album mm-hmm. as well. Uh, it went to number four in the States, number one in the UK, and in the highest accolade that you could imagine at the time, according to Beyonce, she said it influenced her next album. Wow. So it, that has to be high praise, right? Because who runs the world? Girls. Exactly. But we aren't here to talk about 19, though, are no. we? So I do want to say, though, Adele, you want to talk about more? Adele obviously went on after this to be very successful. I think we should cover her successes before we jump back into 21 really quick. They're quite extensive. Oh, yes. She sold over 120 million records worldwide, uh, making her one of the best-selling musicians of all time. Depending upon the numbers you go with, it is somewhere, it definitely top 20. It's somewhere between 17 and 11. Hmm. Uh, she's won 15 Grammy Awards. She's won nine Brit Awards. 15. She won an Academy Award, a Golden Globe, and a Brit Award for the single of the year for the theme song to the James Bond film Skyfall, which she co-wrote and performed. Uh, mm-hmm. Billboard Artist, Artist of the Year in 2011, 2012, and 2016. <laughs> she was named Songwriter of the Year by the British Academy of Songwriters, Composers, and Authors twice in 2012 and 2016. 2012, she was listed as number five on VH1's 100 Greatest Women in Music, and Time Magazine named her one of the most influential women in the wor- world in 2021 and, I'm sorry, 2012 and 2016. That's insane. That is bonkers. And this is, I mean, you got to remember too, she's not 30. Yeah, she, <laughs> you know, she's, she, it, uh, I think is she, she was, just now 30? I think she's just this year turning 30. That's but, insane. Yeah. 88. No, so she's 30 to be 30. She's 33 three. this year. Sorry. But still. Yeah. Good Lord. She's still got 40 years, 40 solid years left. Right. Start churning out some records. That's nuts. Do you have more about? No. We can, let's go. Let's talk about this album. So this is 21. Yeah. Released on January 24th, 2011. Is defined as a sleeper hit, uh, because apparently the record company that uh, she was with, XL, which mm-hmm. was an independent record label, which they basking in the cash, I'm sure, 
uh, had fairly modest expectations for the record. That statement alone is a bit surprising because her last album won Grammys, yeah. sold several million copies, like I mentioned, and she was poised for really great things. So they call it a sleeper. I copied this next part directly from the internet because when I read it, I was shocked. <laughs> I mean, I, I knew it was a mega hit, but I had no idea really just how big it really was. So this next part, it topped record charts in more than 30 countries and became the world's best-selling album of the year for both 2011 and 2012, helping revitalize the lagging sales of the global music industry. In the United Kingdom, it is the best-selling album of the 21st century, the second best-selling album of all time, and the best-selling album by a solo artist of all time, while its 23-week tenure atop the UK album charts is the longest by a female solo artist. In the United States, the album held the position for 24 weeks, longer than any other album since 1985, and the longest by a female solo artist in Billboard 200 history. It was certified diamond by the Recording Industry Association of America, indicating 10 million units recorded sold in the U.S. In addition, three of the five singles released in its promotion, Rolling in the Deep, Someone Like You, and Set Fire to the Rain, became international number one songs, while rumor has it charted in the top 20 in countries across Europe and North America. With sales of over 31 million copies worldwide, 21 is the best-selling album of the 21st century, and one of the best-selling albums of all time. Oh, yeah. I mean, take a moment to digest that for a second. <laughs> this record is more or less credited for saving the music industry, yeah. for the time being at least, uh, before the ubiquitousness of streaming and the availability of free music on YouTube, the industry was suffering, you know, suffering for names and yeah. quality, and she provided both. Uh, and people seem to think that this was the harbinger of things to come. Um, statements like this seem to indicate that thought process. There are two approaches to the mus to the business of being noticed by today's record buying public. The first revolves around oodles of hype and ever more preposterous wardrobe selections. The second requires the confidence to let your music do the talking. Amazingly, given preconceived notions about America's supposed preference for style over substance, it is the second of these two sales techniques which appear to be working better. <laughs> or this one. 21 appealed to baby boomers nostalgic for Etta James, Carole King, and Dusty in Memphis. It also appealed to teens struggling with the first sting of heartbreak, hipsters who missed Amy Winehouse, traditionalists weary of synthesizers and vocal effects, and non-pop fans who simply found it refreshing to hear a singer belt out her blues with conviction. By singing almost exclusively about a relationship gone wrong, Adele made songs that anyone could identify with. 21 wasn't niche-marketed. It was made for everyone, and everyone listened. Oh, yeah. A lot of people consider this album to be the beginning of the paid digital music era. Mm -hmm. Because before this, you could buy digital music, but most people were just bootlegging it. Uh, most people were getting it off Napster and, and uh, uh, like LimeWire and illegal websites and things like that. Right. This is kind of the turning point for that, because it is still a little bit, like you said, it's a little bit before streaming. It's not quite there yet. But this was one of the first albums to do phenomenally well with online digital only sales. Mm. And obviously there were physical versions of this album as well, but it did amazingly well. Yeah, it did. And I agree that all of those things are true. But I feel like, unfortunately, I don't think it lasted. No. Because right now, 10 years after its release, everything is niche marketed now. And music, for the most part, and there are some exceptions, is just as boring as it was before Adele came on the scene. And, and I would like to think that I speak for a lot of people when I say, 
when is her next record coming out? Yeah. Because I think that's severely lacking right now is someone with that power, like to to kind of take the music industry by the balls and say, hey, here's some good music. Could be uh, could be 33 this year, 34 next year. Right. Who Sometimes knows? Soon. What do you got? What else you got uh, there? So you already went over a lot of these numbers, but uh, 17 times platinum in the UK, 5.2 million copies sold. Uh, 14 times platinum in the US, 12 million copies sold. 10 times platinum in Europe with 10 million copies sold. Thank you, Europe, for keeping that simple. (laughs) Uh, It sold so many, like, I, I... did not list. If you go online and look at the list, there's like 38 countries, oh, I believe, yeah. that it lists. It went either gold or multi-platinum in them. It's a lot. It was the best-selling album of the year for both 2011 and 2012, like you said. The second best-selling album of 2011 was 19, <laughs> because it was boosted by, by sales this one, of this yeah. album. So you said uh, it spent 24 consecutive weeks at the top of the U.S. charts, yep. longer than any other album since 1985. That album was Prince's Purple Rain. Uh-huh. Uh, and the longest by a female solo artist in Billboard 200 history uh, it was Whitney Houston's The Bodyguard soundtrack. It was also still on the chart in 2020. At, oh, there in you go. In 132nd position. Is that all? That's all. <laughs> Man, nine years later. So uh, uh, this album, if you- no Dark Side of the Moon. It's on. no Dark Side of the Moon, but- if you've um if you've heard 19 and not this album, this has a lot more soul to it. It has a lot more. It's very heavily influenced. She was influenced by her bus driver mm-hmm. on the American leg of her tour, who was from Nashville, uh, who apparently listened to a lot of uh, uh, Southern rock, bluegrass, uh, yeah. that type of music, and it really influenced her. She used to smoke cigarettes out behind venues, and he would listen to music while they were both smoking cigarettes. That's the same tour that she canceled to spend time with her boyfriend, mm-hmm. who she would later break up with and then create basically this whole album about. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's a lot to unpack there. When she went into the studio to originally record this album, she worked for two weeks, and the only thing that came out of it was the song Take It All. Mm-hmm. She went and played it for her boyfriend, uh, and they broke up shortly afterwards. <laughs> now, I don't want to say... That the song Take It All is the reason they broke up. They were apparently having other problems. Mm-hmm. But I do think that it's very interesting that she was in the studio, could hardly work, had a lot of trouble doing things, made one song, played it for her boyfriend. They broke up, and then she went back into the studio and banged out this album fairly yeah. quickly. And it's amazing. I get all that. We're going to get all those references in there. Oh, yeah. I talk talk at length, I believe, about that. So this album at length has also been nominated for 29 major industry awards. And it's won 21 of those. That's a pretty good percentage. 2011 American Music Awards Favorite Pop Rock Album, 2012 Billboard Music Awards Top Billboard 200 Album, 2012 Billboard Music Awards Top Pop Album, 2012 Brit Awards British Album of the Year, 2012 Grammy for Album of the Year, 2012 Grammy for Best Pop Vocal Album, 2013 Billboard Music Awards Top Pop Album won all of those. It also holds the Guinness World Record from 2012 for... The first album in the UK chart history to reach sales of 3 million in one calendar year. The most consecutive weeks with the UK number one album by a solo female. That's 11 weeks. Biggest selling digital album in the UK and biggest selling digital album in the US. You're saying basically it's a piece of shit. It's a huge piece of shit. It's a terrible album. Don't listen to it. It's garbage. <laughs> this is also, according to Billboard, the biggest crossover song in the last 25 years. It showed up on 12 different radio airplay formats, including Latin. What? That's crazy. So it was on the Latin charts. 
Uh, and while while at its fourth consecutive week at number one, Adele performed "Someone Like You" at the 2011 Brit Awards, resulting in a sales surge of 890 percent on Amazon.co.uk within an hour of the show's broadcast. That's a good amount. Her album "19," like I was saying earlier. Climbed up to number four on the UK albums charts after that performance, making Adele the first living act since the Beatles in 1964 to have two UK top five albums and singles simultaneously. And by the transitive property, uh, Adele, greater than Jesus. Yes, yeah, that, yeah, you're correct. Yeah. Yep, that's it. So you got, is that all for numbers? That's it for the numbers. We're ready to do that's, cover art because it's I, super I, simple. It's so many, so many numbers, and I apologize for just that number soup that you guys just heard. But it's a, it's a huge numbers album. It's so. a lot of numbers. The cover is very simple. Yeah, it is just a a picture of Adele, kind of leaning against her right hand, mm-hmm. and then it says Adele twenty one on it. Shot in black and white mm-hmm. by uh, Lauren Dukoff, uh, who worked with uh, Adele since her premiere. Um, it reminds me a lot of Garth Brooks's uh, No Fences. Oh yeah, cover. Very similar, that black and white, and it. I don't think it has a bluish tint, but I could be mistaken. It, it looks like it, if you look at it too long. <laughs> I think it is black and white. I think that I've, I've seen it in real life, and it is black and white, but that might right. be my memory. So, And it, I could just be imagining. I could have been staring at something blue too long before I looked at that picture. Maybe that's it. And there was one other thing that I think we should probably talk about before sure. we go into the track by track. Um, obviously, this is always credited as a solo album, and I don't want to downplay Adele's uh, abilities. She's amazing. Yeah. But we should definitely mention there were six producers on this album mm-hmm. who all helped uh, write songs and, and create tracks. There were 18 people doing the audio engineering, mixing, or programming on this album, and there are 61 additional musicians besides Adele credited on this album. I must have miscounted. I counted 60, but oh. you're probably right. I might have miscounted. I might be thinking with Adele. I'm going to say 61. I'm going to go right, with well. some number. But huge numbers. I mean, absolutely huge numbers. And and they all came together, and they were all incredibly talented. Takes a village, Kyle. It takes a village to raise an Adele. <laughs> so should we do this? Should we do the track by Let's track? Let's do the track by track. Rolling in the deep, Matthew. Yeah. And it's our first beer. Oh! It's our first beer. What is, so what does that say? I can't read it. Says it says good here. ship wit. It's an ale. Oh, okay. It's for rolling in the deep. Because, you know, rolling on a boat and you oh, got the good ship wit. Very nice. Okay, so everybody so grab one. Let's drink this. Mmm. That's lovely. Ooh. <laughs> oh, oh it's good. It's good beer. Oh, that's nice. Uh, Randy, you got to leave all this in where we drink each beer slowly for about what is it, like a, two minutes. Is it like a pineapple? What is that? It kind of tastes like it has like a little bit of a pineapple aftertaste. Oh, that's what it is. It, it could be a little ginger. <laughs> uh, just trying to break it up. You know, do something different. I like it. I like it. People can sit here and go, was, what is that? Was this the big surprise that you were talking about? Yeah, the, uh, and Rit didn't finish. Rit this. fucked it up. Right. So, Rid, if you're out there, fart noise. Oh, there it is. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, Randy. I'm sorry, Randy. That was quite tasty. Mm-hmm. So, right? Rolling in the deep. Yeah. Uh, go ahead. Does say it was written in three hours the day after she broke up with her boyfriend. Yeah. She, Adele wanted to write a lovelorn ballad, but her producer, Paul Epworth, coaxed her to write a more fiery song. Uh, he's given writing credit along with Adele on this track. So one of the first things that becomes very obvious as soon as the first track starts is the depth and richness of the music, like I said. Production and the engineering stand out. We're going to talk, talk about that. You mentioned all of, you know, there's six engineers or 18 engineers. 
but the quality of the music and its players, first thing that you notice. But there's only three other musicians on this song, other than Adele, and she's credited with vocals, background vocals, and stiletto heel tapping. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) The primary force on this song, and most of the other, a lot of the other songs on the record, is Adele's writing partner, Paul Epworth. Uh, Epworth is an English songwriter and producer who is uh, songwriting credits with Florence and the Machine, Bruno Mars, Foster the People, and some other British guy named uh, Paul McCartney. Who? Um, I've heard some of this McCartney guy's stuff. Uh, I'm not sure he's going places. Uh, yeah. I wish he had a band to play with. That'd yeah. be good. Might be one of those people that just, you know, maybe he's really famous within Britain. Oh. But like outside, nobody, nobody, nobody knows, knows who, who he is. is. Mm-hmm. Uh, Epworth uh, also has production credits with slew of popular performers like U2, Coldplay, Maroon 5, Mumford and & Sons. Never and, heard of any of these and people. Rihanna. There are some, <laughs> those are some pretty uh, significant credits. Um, most of those names that I mentioned seem to have happened after his involvement on this record. And it's no wonder because he did a pretty good job. Yeah. Apparently, when the label wanted to pair Adele with Epworth for this record, she was very apprehensive because she felt like their styles didn't mesh all that well. And later she would characterize their collaboration as a match made in heaven. Uh, She stated that he brought out a lot of me. He brought my voice out as well. And there's notes that I hit in that song, Rolling in the Deep, that I never knew I could even hit. Hmm. Um, And there's a lot going on vocally in this song. It has that now famous smoky blues growl, Mm. these awesome gospel-esque background vocals that she provides. And those foot stomps, they kind of act like an army marching into battle. It has that very martial sound, and it's very well done. So like you mentioned before, uh, the song was apparently inspired by one of her Nashville tour bus drivers. Uh, they wrote it in a single afternoon after she broke up with her boyfriend, mm-hmm. allegedly. Allegedly. I say that because I've read several articles in the course of this research that claims she actually wrote the first verse of this song back in 2008. Oh. Um, well before the recording began. But either way, it's pretty good. Lyrically... It's pretty amazing. And while the subject matter that she writes about, the breakup, is ground that's been covered ad nauseum by modern music, I don't know that it's ever been covered like this before. It reminds me a lot of uh, the 70s masterpiece Tapestry by Carol King. I don't know if you've heard that record. I'm not familiar record. with it. You should go listen to it. It's fantastic. But the lines, go ahead and sell me out and I'll lay your shit bare. <laughs> See how I'll leave with every piece of you. Don't underestimate the things that I will do. This is not a pleased person at all. This is a jilted lover. She's quite upset. Um, Commercially, good lord. Uh, (laughs) Like everything else on this album, it did incredibly poorly. First single off the record, debuted on the top uh, Billboard Top 100 at number 68, would eventually climb to number one, and then stay there for seven weeks. You know. Uh, As a single, as a single, it sold over 8 million copies in the U.S. alone. Oh, and the song itself won three Grammys for Record of the Year, Song of the Year, and Best Short Form Music Video. It won three MTV Music Awards. I guess that still means something, even if they don't play music videos. (laughs) It was recognized by the Guinness Book of World Records for the biggest selling digital single in the calendar year in the United States. It was used in the Apple campaign for the iPhone 4S. Mm -hmm. was played during the parade for the 2012 Olympics during the opening ceremonies. And here's one that's close to home. In early 2016... Donald Trump began using Rolling in the Deep as warm-up music at rallies during his campaign to become that year's Republican Party uh, candidate for president of the United States, prompting Adele to issue a statement distancing herself from Trump. Did she call him a wanker? She should have. Yeah. 
A spokesman for the singer confirmed that Adele has not given permission for any of her music to be used in political campaigning. That didn't stop him from using Skyfall later that year. Um, commentators, including David Lister of The Independent, have noted that United States copyright law does not prevent politicians from using pieces of music at their rallies, providing the venue, uh, provided the venue has a public performance license. Mm-hmm. So the possibility exists that we could get shut down for using a piece of her song for a critique, but he can use whatever the hell he wants if the venue has a license. Of course. It's all really fucking stupid. Copyright law makes perfect sense in this country. I don't know what you're talking about, Matthew. But the song is amazing. Well, you, got, you got more. I, I do. Uh, so there's there's one important fact that you missed there. Go uh, on. Matthew. It actually surpassed uh, the the previous longest chart stay uh, on the, the as, as a single, it surpassed the longest chart stay when it entered its 61st week and that song was uh, Los Del Rio's Macarena oh <laughs> so it uh, it usurped the throne from Macarena so uh, there's a feather in your cap that's a feather in your cap right there uh, but here I love I love this song I love the build up to this song in the beginning and it sounds a little bit like this It's bringing me out the dark Finally I can see you crystal clear Go ahead and sell me out And I'll lay your ship bare See how I'll leave with every piece of you Don't underestimate the things that I will do There's a fire starting in my heart Reaching a fever pitch And it's bringing me out the dark So good. It's fantastic. So uh, in an interview with uh, the Daily Mail's Sebastian Shakespeare, uh, studio engineer Mark Rankin talked about how Adele recorded the vocals for this track. And I love this. Quote, she would be writing, sat on the sofa with her dog on her lap. At one point she goes, I've got something. Let's give it a go. So we swung a microphone around to her. She didn't move from the sofa and she sang two takes of Rolling in the Deep. And that was it. That's what's on the record. It was really that good. That's nice. So <laughs> she just sang with her dog on her lap? Yeah, you know, she was just reclined on the couch, kind of riding. Let's, let's give it a try. <laughs> to have that kind of instrument. Right? It's just. It's amazing. Unfair. Uh, I, I have heard a rumor that a rumor has it. Uh, rumor has it. Mm-hmm. It retains the classic English spelling of rumor. Rumor. That's my preferred spelling of the word, actually. Much like Kalur, favorite, and neighborhood. How about aluminium? Aluminium as well. Uh, I just think it's classier, and I'm a pretentious uh, grammar snob. No, that's fair enough. Um, oh, I get to use one of my favorite uh, English things later in this uh, notes. Really? In my notes here, so I'll, I'll, I'll cover Ooh, that. I- uh, it, while it seems this song is aimed at the tabloids, she claims that it's actually directed at her friends, mm-hmm. who tended to believe the stories they were reading in the tabloids. Uh, the song was co-written and produced by Ryan Tedder. Uh, he also played just about every instrument on the song, including electric guitar, piano, B3, drums, programming, musical and string arrangements. This is another wildly successful fellow. He has won three Grammy Awards. He co-wrote Apologize by One Republic, which I know everyone just started singing in their head. Bleeding Love by Leona Lewis and Halo by Beyonce. 
three of the highest selling singles of all time. No big deal. <laughs> no big deal. Uh, oh, yeah. He is also the lead singer of One Republic. You know. So. I feel like he has a pretty good life. <laughs> it's going to be a good life for this guy. It's, it it's going to be a good, good life for this guy. <laughs> this is such an infectious song. You know? The chant in the song, the rumor has it mm-hmm. part gets into your brain earworm style. Right. And it's very difficult to shake. I remember when this uh, first came out, this song, and Heather and I would be walking around the house just going, rumor has it, rumor has it, over and over un- again, until it eventually devolved into making fun of it. And we started to make up nonsensical words or just sounds <laughs> to fill in the blank and we'd just be like, <laughs> we still do it. We do it all the time. It's just like, <laughs> It, it makes no sense. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> uh, and the song, you know, sold several million of course, more copies, as you do. As a single. Just, no big deal. Know. What I really love about her voice in the, is how it cracks just the slightest bit when yeah. she strains higher into the register. Uh, you can't teach something like that. You can't auto-tune that kind of crack in like that, just that that strain um, it's just naturally a really beautiful thing, but when you're making the ultimate breakup album, that plaintive sound, that natural anguish in your voice are painting the picture for you, and I think you have a pretty good song in the work when you're doing that. I think, too, that they did a very smart thing, and I'm sure part of this was Rick Rubin, who was another one of the producers on this, a very famous producer, obviously. Um, he's well-known for having a very simple sound. He doesn't like to add a lot. He likes the music to stand as the music. And I think that they did a very, very good job of that on this album. What's funny is the the only critiques that I've heard about this record are on songs that he actively produced (laughs) because he went the opposite direction. He almost obscured what was going on in the record with a little bit of overproduction on a couple of the songs really? that he did. And that that was the critique hmm. that they, you you, you kind of took it out of, of what the album was and tried to make it something else, and it didn't fit in with the narrative, so to Interesting. speak. Yeah, so I, I have some notes about that later. Oh, good. We'll loop back um, around to it. So I, I love the slowdown in yeah. the middle of this song. Uh, it sounds a little bit like this. But in my ear, tell a story that I can I bear to hear. Just cause I said it, it don't mean that I meant to hear. People say crazy things. Just cause I said it, don't mean that I meant to just cause you heard it If you played this for me and told me it was from like Motown in like the late 60s or 70s, I would 100% believe you. Like if I had never heard this song before, I didn't know who Adele was and mm-hmm. somebody played this and like, oh, you like Motown? Listen to this. I would be like, oh man, this has to be like pre-1980, right? It, it's oh, it's such a good song. It is a great song. It is a... It's it's wonderful. It's uh, not as good as turn well turning tables. Turning tables. <laughs> uh, another of the songs that was co-written by Ryan Tedder, mm-hmm. uh, although this one was produced by Jim Abyss. 
uh, Jim Abyss achieved significant success as the producer of the Arctic Monkeys album, uh, Whatever People Say I Am, That's What I Am Not. And like we have always said on this program, if you want to be the best, surround yourself with the best. And the song continues the breakup motif of that yeah. record. But you're surrounding yourself with all the best engineers, all the best producers, all the best musicians. You're probably going to have a good product. Uh, as the story goes, Tedder and Adele had met at the 2009 Grammys and expressed interest in working with one another. Tedder flew out to London and arrived at the studio four hours before their scheduled appointment to familiarize himself with her music, and he came up with the title phrase because it reminded him of Chasing Pavements, which had been a big hit for from her previous album. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Adele had said her uh, her boyfriend was always, quote, fucking turning the tables on me. <laughs> he went on. I was trying to digest what chord changes and voicings would work for her, and after about three hours of chasing that kind of stuff, I ditched it and thought, to hell with this, I'm going to write something that I want to hear. I came up with the opening piano sequence, and when Adele walked in, I had the concept of turning tables. I thought it was interesting. It felt connected. Chasing pavements, turning tables, two completely odd non-sequitur statements. I also had the opening line, close enough to start a war, all that I have is on the floor. I had no idea about the breakup with the boyfriend, but when she heard the lyrics, she said it was literally what she was going through. And so we made the song autobiographical. Adele had wanted to write a more upbeat album because she was being typecast as a, quote, old soul and a yeah. ballad singer, even though she was just barely 20 years old. And so she she started a relationship with a man who was 10 years older than her. She became really upset, and this is a story you told earlier. She became upset because the writing sessions weren't going anywhere, except for one song called Take It All, like you mentioned. Um, she went home and played it for him, and they ended up fighting and breaking up. And she was crushed and then channeled it into a heartbreak album. And these are crushing songs, right? Where really, when you examine them. And heartbreak can be the best catalyst for art, as we see time and time again. I did not write it down on here. I can't remember what interview it was from, but somebody called her a sour soul. Oy. And I was like, good God, what a rude thing to call someone. It's just not she's accurate just, either. She's just such a sour soul. No, she's not. She's a, a fun-loving, at this time, 21-year-old yeah. who just happened to have gone through a real shitty breakup. Yeah, she had her heart broken. Ah, geez, what a dick. Right? This sounds a little bit like this, though. Neil Cowley playing the piano there. So good. Mm. Pop craft at its finest. Mm -hmm. What? No, no, let's go on. What? Don't you remember? I don't remember. Do you remember? (laughs) Oh, I. No, that's the name of the next song. Oh, is it? I see what you were doing. What do I, we, thought, I thought I was supposed to remember something. Don't you, don't you remember, Kyle? Sorry. What do we have here? This it, could easily be a country song. Right? Add a steel guitar here. Add a twanger voice there. Boom. Got a country hit. Yeah. And then it's got that beautiful orchestral build in the middle. I love it. Oh. And this was uh, one of the songs. Uh, first of all, she was exposed to a ton of country music, as we said, on her first American tour by her Nashville-born tour bus driver. See last song for a reference on that. Uh, Need You Now by Lady Antebellum, currently now known as Lady A, was very popular on the radio, and so she heard it a bunch. And this was actually 
This song, Don't You Remember, was actually the last song that she recorded for 21, and I think it fits really well. Yeah. She co-wrote the song with Dan Wilson. Dan Wilson was the lead singer of the 90s group Semisonic, who had their own hit with Closing Time. Closing Time. Um, Which may or may not be about babies leaving the womb. I think it is. I think it's been confirmed that that's what it's... Oh, they finally did? Yeah. Because I know for years that was like a, is it or isn't it? I believe that it is. Uh, He appears later in this episode as well. Uh, Also... Showing up on the song is mega producer Rick Rubin. Mm-hmm. Uh, Adele had grown up a fan of Red Hot Chili Peppers and the material they recorded with Rubin in the early 90s, namely Blood Sugar Sex Magic and uh, uh, Mother's Milk. Mm. Uh, so she was excited to get a chance to work with him. However, people take him to task for this song because they feel like the production was a little overwrought huh. with that very swelly section. And I can see that. That section's a little schmaltzy. I mean, it's it sounds fine, but it's like... Okay, yeah, we're going going overboard with with it, but it's wonderfully played. The, some of the lines in there gave you the space so you could breathe. I kept my distance so you would be free and hope that you'd find the missing piece to bring you back to me. This girl has some serious ache. Yes, and that and it it's all laid out in that voice is just like pulls you in and doesn't let go. Don't you remember? see it being a little schmaltzy just a little it's it doesn't take away from the quality of the song it just feels like it might not fit so well with the rest of the record yeah. that's what they that's what they say i don't say that I, that's not my feeling adele said uh, in an interview with the sun explaining what this song was about quote you know when you forget why you loved someone i was just thinking about how my entire body would just shiver if my ex touched me to say hello it's sad when you can't remember why you loved someone Oof. Deep. Randy just said, ouch, and I don't agree with that. <laughs> uh, what would you do instead? I would set fire to the rain. That's a good idea. Ooh, we got another beer. We get another beer. Is it's this a- going to set fire to our rain later it on? It could. Is this like a cinnamony? I don't know. It's a Pilsner. It's a Pilsner called Torch, obviously. Set fire to the rain. Oh, Torch. I get it. I get it. I get it. It's trying to make it thematic. Be interested to see what this one's like. Hmm. Oh, my. Ooh, that is That is kind of fiery. It is a little... I actually do taste maybe a little bit of cinnamon. It's in got there. a little bite. This is this is the type of beer I can do like a, a little flight glass of this type of beer. Yeah, a full like bottle or pint of too this much would kill me. Mm. I would have immediate heartburn and I would probably keel over and just have to lay on the floor. Well, for a we while. don't want that. It would be bad. So it's a it's another bona fide mega hit. Yeah, third consecutive number one single from this album, and would sell the requisite amount of millions of copies. The live version of this song would earn her another Grammy for Best Pop Solo Performance. Uh, Also, in one of those weird statistical things, it made 21 the first album in history to remain number one on the charts, while three consecutive singles from the same record also went to number one. So, the album stayed at number one, 
as one single got to one, another single got to one, another single got to one. That's a, that's a long time. It was also uh, the first British artist. She was the first British arborist. Oh, God. Arborist. Arbor- Arbor- Ar- the first British arborist. Whoa. Really? I didn't know she had an interest in trees. I had no trees. idea. Uh, she was the first British artist to have three chart toppers from one album on the Hot 100 since George Michael in the late 80s. Ooh, the Faith record. Right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She co-wrote this song with Fraser T. Smith. Fraser Thornycraft Smith. That's such a good name. Also known as Future Utopia. Oh, I didn't see that. That's his other name. He's a British songwriter who has written material for Sam Smith as well. Uh, Adele said she came up with the title of the song. Best quote of the whole episode right here. When she got up in the middle of the night to take a wee. (laughs) Fraser T. Smith had this to say about the making of the song. And it's very similar, I must say, to the story that you told just a second ago Hmm. about the dog. So I'm on... Oh. Did she do this twice? I bet so, she did this a lot. Adele had just broken up with her boyfriend. She was in a vulnerable place and had brought her dog, Lewis, along to keep her company. Oh, Lewis. We started working from scratch on a song that would become Set Fire to the Rain, which reached number one all over the world. Adele sat in the kitchen, drinking endless cups of coffee, smoking Marlboro Lights, and scribbling down lyrics while I worked on music. Meanwhile, her dog was growing restless, wandering around the studio, cocking its leg on everything in sight. <laughs> Then I spotted him chewing through the cables, and I thought, I'm in the middle of producing one of the greatest records of my career, and this dog is going to blow up the studio. (laughs) Then the dog started crying while Adele was singing, but thankfully he calmed down and came and sat on her lap. Some of the best takes we got were done with a sausage dog perched on her knee. (laughs) So there you go. All you need is a sausage dog. Lewis the sausage dog. That's amazing. Lewis the sausage dog. This, I think, might be the most popular song off this album. Yeah, I think I feel so. Like, I feel like I have heard this one. This still gets a lot of radio play. I still hear this pretty frequently, especially in like, uh, like psych up playlists. Like as you're trying to get like an audience all psyched. Yes. up, this ends up in there. A I lot. feel like someone like you was actually bigger. Yes, but this song. This is the one that gets the the, the repeat plays. It's a pretty angry song. It is, which I think makes it all the better. I love I love the synthy work on it. It's a pretty bombastic power ballad, and I would say normally I don't like those over-the-top ballads like you get in the 80s movies or or like an Aerosmith, like, oh, yeah. too big. Uh, but this one works for me, uh, and I would say mostly it's because of the voice. Well, here, have a little listen. I will. won't go, Matthew. Original title of this song was What is Love? And not the song from the stupid head bouncing sketch with Will Ferrell and Chris Kattan. Oh. Uh, this is <laughs> uh, this is another song written with Paul Epworth mm-hmm. and produced by Rick Rubin. Uh, they had actually produced a completely different version of this song that was significantly less upbeat. But when Epworth heard this version of the song, he suggested using this one for the album instead. What's well, definitely got a much more Modern rock feel than anything else on this album, yeah. probably due to the the drum machine. Yeah, 
And it totally reminds me of like a Jamiroquai song. Oh yeah, like exactly like the like if you again if you didn't tell me this was an Adele song, I'd be like, oh, what Jamiroquai album is this off of? It's a uh, it's significantly more R and B flavored. Yeah, with some swagger to it, uh, and I guess that's probably why Ruben gets some shit for this song uh, because that one country flavored one, and this mm-hmm. one's a little R and B tinged. So the fear is that if you it takes away from what you clearly wanted. Adele to be a balladeer. I'm sure the label wanted that. Yeah. And from what I've heard about her doing this research is that she didn't want that at all. She didn't want to be the balladeer. She runs away from those labels and tries other things. And I think that's really great. And I think she was getting exactly what she wanted out of this. Uh, This song benefits from a wonderful harp part. Oh, yeah. Played by Stephanie Bennett. A harp in pop music. How often do you see that? It's awesome. And it works so well. Here, have a listen. Okay. Will he, will he still remember me? Will he still love me even when he's free? Or will he go back to the place where he would choose the poison over me? When we spoke yesterday, he said to hold my breath and sit and wait. I'll be home so soon I won't be late. He won't go. That's funny. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, Adele, in the same interview with The Sun uh, about this song, she said, quote, the first verse was about me and my ex, but then became about two of my close friends who are a couple that became my lifeline when I came off tour. Two months after I met them, the boyfriend went into rehab for heroin addiction. I had no idea about his problem. Mm. So it's a starts out as a breakup song and then turns into a song about a couple who the boyfriend went away for heroin addiction. Hmm. I think it's very uh, telling that you took the exact section of the song that I wrote the lyrics down for <laughs> and the other section. So the harp is awesome. It adds a nice little light touch right? Um, with some other stronger rhythmic elements in it. So it's a nice two, two little things going on there. And she has an affectation in her singing that sticks out that I hadn't noticed up until this point, um, but would notice later on the record. It's how she pronounces the word risk. It comes out as risk, like R-I-E-E-E-E-S-K, risk. Risk. Um, And it just stuck out for me. And the couple lines from the lyric that you took out were, will he still love me even when he's free, or will he go back to the place where he will choose poison over me? That's just great. Right? Great stuff. That's Mm. great. Woo, it's good stuff. It is. The only other time that I noticed, like, when we did Matthew in the Atlas, mm-hmm. he had a couple of really strange affectations in his voice with certain words. And that's and so it, maybe they're from a, a similar part of England. It could be. Where that, you know, they elongate that sound. It's very strange, hmm. but I like it. Interesting. Take it all. Take it all. We already talked a little bit about this one. First, one probably one, the first song written for this yeah, album. One might say the entire inspiration for the for the album. Mm-hmm. She co-wrote this song with Francis E.G. White. Is it E.G. or Egg? I think it's E.G. Egg White would be way better. <laughs> I'm just saying, if you are out there, Francis E.G. White, you should consider... I, I know that you're probably... You're, you're well known as E.G. White. Uh, you should consider changing it to Egg, egg. White. Eggy. Eggy White. What? 
He's a super prolific songwriter, uh, written with a ton of other artists. He also co-wrote Chasing Pavements with Adele. It's the super ballad, and it's spectacular. Uh, The piano playing is really nice, but that voice, there is such a range of emotion in her voice that you get carried away by. And it seems so effortless and strained at the same time. Uh, It's one of those once-in-a-generation voices that always sounds good no matter what she's singing, but really shines in songs like this. Um, And then add in those gospel-like background vocals, uh, also completely done by her, and it's just like, whoa. Yeah. Uh, they come out of nowhere when you're when you're not absolutely not expecting that to happen. Uh, it's completely quiet, and then these background vocals pop in, and it's really quite beautiful. Uh, it's for sure one of the songs you stand up and take notice of. It's a it's a showstopper. Yeah, I do think it's interesting too that like like we said, this was recorded almost separate from the rest of the album because it happened in the studio. She then went away, broke up with the boyfriend and then came back to the studio and made the rest of the album, but it still fits. Uh-huh. It still fits very well thematically with the album. Oh, for it's sure. Still, it meshes right in. It doesn't sound out of place on here. Uh, I would pick, I would say if somebody asked me which one of these was recorded away from all the others. I would not pick this. There's other, there's other songs on here that I would definitely, I pick, would choose the last one. Yeah. Not, not this one. But here, uh, have a listen and uh, see what you think. All right, I will. I will change if I must. Slow it down and bring it home. I will adjust. Oh, if only, if only you knew everything I do is for. I would be curious to know if one of the reasons why this sort of a vocal performance has gone away so much mm-hmm. is because so many young people don't smoke anymore. Oh. Like, I wonder if that's why it was such a, because this sound, you know, it sounds a lot like 40s lounge music yeah. and extended all the way through the 50s and into the 60s and 70s. And then it kind of started, it went away. And I wonder if it's because, you know, at that time, young people smoked. Mm. Not to say that that's a good thing. Damn you, big tobacco. (laughs) You screwed us again. (laughs) But I wonder, because I know that Adele smoked, and I assume it was probably from around 15 or 16, would be my assumption. And that might be one of the reasons why she can have that kind of a voice. But I do wonder if it's something that will fade out over time as she just destroys it because she keeps smoking, or (laughs) sad to say, but possibly true. It, that just occurred to me that, like, I wonder if that's why this vocal type of performance disappeared from from popular culture. I'd say that's a, that's a legitimate uh, that's a legitimate <laughs> point. We didn't stop recording, did we? We didn't. <laughs> <laughs> did it stop? Stop. Yeah. Oh, what about the? What? No, this is still. Oh, that's still no, going. Okay, on. good. Okay. Yeah, okay. Well, I'll be waiting for a girl like you. Ooh. Oh, different song. Yeah. I'm sorry. Hey, does it does the sound? Uh, oh, does it? What? Well, do we get to do a beer oh, with yeah, this we one? Do a beer. We get to do a beer we with this beer. one. I'm so sorry, listeners. You're, I hope Randy edits a lot of this out. We're uh, just like, we get to do a beer, and then we come back just slightly drunker. This is a IPA. It's called Demento for I'll Be Waiting because Heather Ooh. Heather did all these, and she's like, yeah, well, she you, sounds Heather. really fucking crazy in some of these songs. That's why this one's Demento. <laughs> she sounds like she's a little stalkery. Here it comes down the hatch. 
Oh, that's lovely. What you should do, Randy, is cut the middle part of all these beer tastings out and put those at the end. <laughs> so it's just, oh, we're going to try a beer. And then we're it like, oh, oh, that was pretty good. And then it goes back into it. And then at the very end, it's just us. Oh, we're going to try this first beer. You uh, can cut it out and put it on Patreon. No, we can yeah, do that, too. You want to hear us morons drunk from beer? <laughs> and we're back. Okay. Uh, does it sound like anyone else uh, that the beginning of this song is channeling Sir Elton John? Maybe a little because bit. Because it sounds like that to me. Uh, and then we get to the chorus. We got a little Dusty Springfield flavor or maybe some Aretha. Um, I'm not saying she was trying to copy them, but it certainly can be influenced by those artists. And it's a nice break from all the heartache. Yeah. Uh, one of the albums we did recently was Beck's Sea Change. Yes. Uh, which is the ultimate breakup album because he just never recovers or takes a break from the misery. No, it's just constantly miserable. And then there's a brief little like, <gasps> and then it gets more miserable. It just goes on forever. But here Adele kind of steps away from the clubbing over the heads of the heartbreak for a more up-tempo number with different subject matter. Dare I say that this song is fun. Yeah. And has some lovely horn embellishments for good measure. It does. I'm super sad this was not a single. Because I think this song, like, this is kind of buried on this album. And I feel like had this been a single, it probably would have t- been even bigger. I think so. You know so. what I mean? It would have been a, a a much more popular song simply because it doesn't fit. This This would be the one that I would pick out as, like, this was recorded at a different time or this was under different circumstances. Because hmm. lyrically, it kind of fits. Musically, it doesn't fit with the rest of the album to me. Not that it's not good. Hmm. It just doesn't fit. And I think it's kind of intentionally unfit to make it fit. I would say that it it's it's my favorite song on the record because uh-huh. it comes at exactly the right time. Uh, right after that emo- a massive emotional ballad, we get a little pick-me-up. Uh, it's another co-written song by Paul Epworth. Mm-hmm. And he gets her, clearly. He's challenging yeah. her. And you can hear it. And I love that about a producer who challenges the artist to do something different. And unlike Beck, who didn't seem to have a point of self-realization of how bad his heartache was, she realizes that some of it may have been her fault. She said this, I started to realize I'm not as great as I thought as a girlfriend. I felt quite bad about writing a record that's all fuck you. (laughs) And that, my friends, is growth. That is growth. Super cool. That's growth. Have a little, uh, have a little listen. You got more on that? No. So good. I love that song, though. Me too. I really do. That is the one song off of this album that I, I'm not going to say I routinely listen to it, but I have come back to that song a few times. I would. I would. I think it's great. But is it your one and only? No. No. It's another song co-written with Dan Wilson. And while the song is uh, almost written as like a 12-bar blues song, lyrically, it's happy or at least promising The last song gave us a little bit of hope, but this song has her looking forward towards the future uh, because it is the one song not written about the guy she broke up with, but the guy that has been 
the friend under her nose for so long that she's now just realizing she may have loved him all along. And in fact, she told uh, the son in an interview, <laughs> quote, that one's just about someone I've known for years who I've always loved. And I think he's always loved me, but we're too scared to be with each other in case that's it. Okay. You didn't take the same quote. I did. Oh, good. I read that one. Um, so it sounds like a perfect rom-com song. And admittedly, Adele said she had watched the Drew Barrymore movie Never Been Kissed the <laughs> night before she wrote it. So clearly, rom-com was on her mind. But alas, it was not to be. Mm. During her performance at Royal Albert Hall, she said this in true Adele fashion. She thought, quote, the sun shone out of his ass, but not enough time has gone by since he wasn't a fucking prick to me. Ah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> She's a lovely lady. Uh, she sounds wonderful. <laughs> this one has all the classics. The super big choir, mm -hmm. which is now a real choir and not just a blending of her voices, and the full band for a super full sound. It's a good song. It's not my preferred song on the record, but there's some really great elements in it. And lyrically, one of the weaker ones, kind of predictable with nothing memorable, but it's good. It's not great. And I would say on someone else's album, it's a success. Oh, yeah. But on this album full of hits, just doesn't rise up to that. We've done this before. Yeah. And you're like, well, I mean, an 8 out of 10 when every other song is a 10 out of 10 has to be a weaker song. I yeah. guess that's just how it goes. Uh, what I will say is that her voice, again, effortless and immaculate. And she does these runs in the song. And I know all the starlets of the world do the runs up and down, crazy singing, but it sounds so forced and intentional. She just does it and it folds into the song and it seems improved and like, oh, I can just do this. Not like I had to sit back and think about I'm going to like do a, a 15 note run. She just casually just boop and it's yeah. like, oh my gosh. And it's impressive and it's just uh, I love the sound of it. Well, here, have a have another little listen. Ooh. It's so full. It's just so many great things going on. You got more? No. Really? Yeah. Huh? So next one is a cover. Yeah. It's we a... love song. Yeah. Uh, we mentioned this cover version of the Cure song uh, on our episode about disintegration. Yes. Uh, and I believe we said that Adele would have said, here's a love song, you fucking wankers. I believe that is correct. Yes. But it is, <laughs> but it is a really special version of the song. Soft and elegant bossa nova, almost. Yes. Completely different than the original, and it sounds like this. Whenever I'm alone with you, you make me. 
And here is a cover version of that song by 311. And then here's the original version by The Cure. Why do we play all three, Kyle? Because I know we have some younger listeners out Mm -hmm. there, and I want you to know that it is perfectly okay to do cover songs and make them your own. You don't just have to write original songs or do faithful covers of songs. You can take what has already been made and change it, craft it, and make something even more special. I think it's important to note that an artist of her caliber, her brilliant talent level, with all those records sold, still has songs by other people that appeal to her and move her enough to take that song and put her own spin on it. And I love all three versions, and I'm glad that she put it on this album, that she took that shot. I think that's that's so cool. That's very nice. I I like that. Yeah. This is also, uh, earlier I mentioned that I love it when I get to break English. Yeah. Two of my favorite times when that happens. Number one is when you get to use the same word twice in a row. Like, yeah. uh, that depends on what the definition of is, is. <laughs> that was a bad Bill Clinton. But anyways, the other one here is uh, I get to say this is uh, The Cure cover. <laughs> uh, the uh, Cure? The Cure cover. It is uh, The Cure. Uh, The Cure cover. Is it like that, that? That is similar to that, that, yes. That, that? Uh, this version of the song actually charted higher on the modern rock charts than the original. Really? This one reached number one, while the original only got to number two. What blocked the original, do you know? I don't remember, but it was probably like R.E.M. or something. It also charted at number 18 on the jazz charts. Oh. (laughs) You see how I did that kind of out of hand? And guess who makes an appearance on this song? Hmm. Our old friend from the Beck episode, Mr. Smokey Hormel on guitar. Welcome back, Smokey Hormel. Smokey Hormel. Mmm, Smoky Hormels. I, Available I, in cans. I think that's a great version of that song. It is. What else you got? That's it. Well, what about Someone Like You? Oh, it's beer time. <gasps> the final beer. It's the final beer. The, no, the final beer. It's a hot be- beer, uh, hot pale ale called Birio, and it's Ooh. actually, hey, it's me, Birio. It's me, Birio. <laughs> 
Uh, someone like you. Someone like you. Last song on the record. Final song about getting over your ex. So after you listen to this, you should be over them. Well, right? I, I don't think so. Oh, that's not how it works. What a closer it is, though. Right? It's the destroyer. It takes a lot of balls to finish an album with a song that is just vocals and piano. Yeah. And it is wonderful. Mm-hmm. She's at the top of her register for a lot of it, just straining and reaching possibly past the point where she normally can and can hear the ache and the power and all the emotion of that breakup coming through the mic. It's amazing. And it, it gets the credit it originally deserved. Yeah. Uh, co-written by Dan Wilson. Again, this song would uh, go on to top the charts in 19 countries, sell 17 million copies as a single. So just a few. It won a Grammy, did all the things uh, you want it to do. Recorded by two people. In a studio over two days with one grand piano. That's amazing. <laughs> that is impressive. And I honestly don't know what more you can say about the song because it just lays it all out there. It's 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 naked. It's just out there. Yeah. And it's it's beautiful. This was also one of the uh, Adele actually premiered this on November sixteenth, twenty ten, on uh, the TV show Later Live with Jules Holland. Mm. Uh, so it was sort of a, a promo for the rest of this album. I like it. Uh, here's a little clip. I oh. hope it doesn't make you cry. I probably will. Never. This is, uh, I'm, I'm not embarrassed to admit, this song actually does make me cry sometimes if don't, I'm not in the right mood. Don't cry, Kyle. And in fact, uh, it was used in a 2011 Saturday Night Live skit uh, where an office worker plays the song for a good cry. Uh, Emma Stone walks in and catches her doing it and then wants in on the good cry, uh, leading others to follow them to have a good cry. And by the end, everybody in the office is crying uh, to this Adele song. <laughs> In fact, this went so far, scientists actually studied this song to find out why it creates such an emotional reaction in listeners. Um, a Wall Street Journal story revealed that musically, it's all about small, unexpected changes in the melody, or what they noted as, quote, ornamental notes, which appear all over the song. Uh, these create a melancholy tension. Uh, Tearjerkers often move from soft to loud and contain some dramatic shifts at key moments. In Someone Like You, this is when Adele's voice jumps an octave and becomes much louder in the chorus. So there is science as to why this song makes people tear up. It, it's a tearjerker. It's a real tearjerker. It's pretty accurate. Earworms, tearjerkers. Hmm. I like it. And that uh, that's it. That's 21. Amazing record. Once again, thanks, Kyle, for challenging me with this one. Uh, <laughs> I think that's one of the reasons that we make a good team, probably, because I would never have put this on my list, mm -hmm. nor listen to the whole thing, because it just isn't in my comfort zone. Uh, but it's excellent, and it makes me aware of some of the awesome music that I miss because I might be afraid to try something new because it's not where I live yeah. musically in my head. Um, but this one will go into like a semi-regular rotation because it's just that freaking good. Good. Um, it's it's definitely an album. I, I got to be honest. I'm not. I'm familiar enough with it. Yeah. You know, I, I would listen to it from time to time. Usually not as an album. Usually it's just tracks from the album. Uh, but it was fun to be able to delve a little deeper into it, see how it was actually made, learn more about the backstory behind it. Are you going to go the whole episode without doing our voice? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try. I'm going to do it after we uh, wrap things up. So uh, 
If you liked listening yeah. to this episode and you want to have us talk about something you love, yes, then throw a little coin our way Please at our do. Patreon account. What? Uh, how would yeah. they do that? So for five bucks a month, you can sign up for the uh, the front row seats tier, which uh, includes two day early access to all the episodes, so you could have been listening to this on Wednesday instead of Friday. Oh my God, that sounds like such a cool deal. Uh, shout out to uh, on a future episode as a loyal producer. Uh, you get to listen to a bunch of bonus mini episodes that we call judo chops, uh, and occasionally some bonus content such as unedited interviews, behind the scenes oh, videos, and tiny tidbits that got cut out of episodes. During this one, probably all of the beer tasting that got cut out. Maybe. <laughs> if you do really want to influence us a little bit more than that, though, at that level, you can uh, send us some messages on Patreon as well if you want us to pay a little bit more attention to you. Yeah. But if you really want to influence Wave us, your arms around. Right? Hello, hello. <laughs> if you really want to influence us, the backstage pass tier is $20 a month. It includes everything from the previous tier, plus a very special personalized gift. Uh, and the chance to co-host an audio judo episode on the album of your choice. That benefit activates after one year of patronage at that tier, and it can only be activated once. So pick well. Yeah. Uh, and if you like jazz, or, or more importantly, don't like jazz, but want to, mm -hmm. or don't understand it and want to, or whatever, then you need to check out our jazz podcast, Audio Judo Does Jazz, which you can find at audiojudo.com forward slash AJDJ. Also check out our regular show, Audio Judo at audiojudo.com or wherever podcasts are. Yeah. Podcast. And let's see, what do we have coming up? The Who. Yep. Tina Turner. Yep. Sticks. Mm -hmm. So many other great artists, plus all the artists you are missing out on if you don't subscribe to the Patreon and get some Judo Chops. Great. We uh, we should also mention if you want to get in touch with us. Oh, yeah. Uh, shit. Email us info at audiojudo.com. We're on Twitter at audiojudo, uh, facebook.com forward slash audiojudo, and our Instagram is audio underscore judo. Right? Let us uh, let us know what you think. I totally left that out of my notes. That's I know. stupid. That's okay. Uh, I got you. That's all for now. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we will talk to you again in two weeks. Take care, everybody. Uh, bye bye. So I know that you you have been waiting for this through the whole episode. Yeah. So uh, for many years, I have done a, a joke about Adele, because if you watch her concerts, she plays a song, and then she talks to the audience for a few minutes. It really is like, there's a reason why they call them like an evening with Adele, an or, or, with Adele. or time with Adele, or whatever. Because she really does, she'll go like and talk to members of the audience, and but it's very funny to me, because she has this deep, soulful voice and then when she's talking to people in the audience, you can tell she's from London because she's just, you know, ooh. <laughs> so what's everybody doing tonight after me concert? You gonna go to the bar and have a beer? I'd like to go have a beer, but I can't because I have to go back to the hotel. I've got to sleep it off because tomorrow I've got to drive all the way to Chicago. Here's my next big hit. And the sky falls. Oh, I love all my fans. I love every one of my fans. You're all wankers, but I love you to death. It's like he was suppressing a fart for 45 minutes and he's just now got to get it out. Oh, I love all of you. Love every single one of my fans. All right. I love you, Adele. Please, if you ever hear this, don't judge me. Now I have to pee. 
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 